ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. All across central New York, it's the 315. Here's Brian Higgins. I was lying on the grass on Sunday morning of last week, indulging in myself to Yeah, I rolled along here on this Friday back into the hoops. On this hour of the 315, all across central New York, brought to you by Billy Whitaker Cars and Trucks. We're getting ready for Notre Dame at Syracuse round two in the Dome tomorrow. Orange took it a little bit more than a month ago by one in South Bend, and the game winner by Judah Mintz, and then a solid uh, 10 seconds or so of defense uh, by Syracuse after that. A guy that covered that game, will cover this game, is from the South Bend Tribune. He joins us then. He joins us now. Welcome, uh, Tom Noy, back in. Good to uh, chat once more as we get ready for round two of this matchup. Do we have to talk college basketball with this Notre Dame team? Uh, yeah, we Let's can, talk something else. All right, we can talk about whatever the hell you want. So I'm like, we'll, we'll, we're, we're glad to do whatever here on this show, so we, we can go somewhere else. And uh, it's kind of been that month. I, I think a month ago we were happy to talk Notre Dame basketball. What, yeah. What, what the heck has happened since we last chatted? Well, it was shortly after that December, when was it? December 3rd. Third, yeah, the, the December third. It was eight days afterward. Okay, Notre Dame loses to Syracuse. They bounce back. They beat Boston University in a non-conference game. And then Marquette comes rolling in here. Their old independent and Big East rival slash colleague, and basically looked at Notre Dame and said, "Hey, there's nobody in the middle playing in this on this basketball team. Let's just drive it right down their collective throats." Mm. Marquette scored 50 points in the paint and really took Notre Dame's collective spirit, their life, their confidence, their everything else to where they had a maybe an inkling that they could be a really good basketball team before December 11th. But when Marquette comes in here and wins a 15-point game, which is the largest margin of defeat for a Mike Bray team in a non-conference home game in Bray's 23 years, Everything just kind of shifted, and the shoulders sagged, and they were kind of like, we're not a very good basketball team, and they started to believe it, and their record so far, six games into ACC play, this ACC play certainly has shown that. Yeah, I mean, until Tuesday when they got the win at Georgia Tech in mm-hmm. overtime after that game, like the only win in between there was Jacksonville, so that's not exactly, <laughs> you know, you're not writing books about that one. So they do beat uh, Georgia Tech. It goes overtime last game. You know, can that be a game? When you pull a game out like that, do you think that can be a game that starts flipping things around in the other direction, or is that just, you know, where it's at? Like, if they're not going to win a lot of games and it's going to take, you know, deep into overtime or late in games to pull them off. Yeah, you know, the basketball coach in Mike Bray says he's just looking for anything right now, and he'll he'll take this, the, the proverbial one-game win streak in the ACC and run with it and say, hey, look, fellas, we did this right. We did that right. Like the, the the one positive I'd say about beating Georgia Tech in overtime at home the other night is the way that Notre Dame won. Like they had no business winning that basketball game. They were down seven with three minutes to play. They were down two uh, on two separate occasions in the five minute overtime. And so there was the scenario had it set up to where Notre Dame had every reason just to throw up their hands and say, Yeah, you know what? We're 0-5. We feel sorry for ourselves. We're not winning this freaking game. Like, we can't do anything right to, to win this game. So 
to, to be able to go out there and to win that game and to get a defensive stand late in regulation to force overtime and then late in overtime to win the game, I'm sure Mike Bray will be riding that kind of karma into the carrierdom or whatever it's called these days uh, on Saturday night. But honestly, it, it's just something where I think they really don't have much of a chance just given the, how, how fragile their psyche is right now, especially away from home. Like last year, last year this team had swagger. Like they were going yeah. into different buildings. They were going into different buildings and winning league games. Their own five collectively away from home this year, be it a neutral site, be it a road game in the ACC. So they're, they're just missing that, that edge that's going to tell them, hey, we're walking into this dome, and two hours later we're walking out with a freaking W. You know what's crazy, and Tom Noyes, our guest from the South Bend Tribune, that you're absolutely right about that, but it's a lot of the same people. Like it, you know, they, <laughs> they, they did lose some, but it's a lot of the same players that did it last year. I guess that has to be, you know, for, for Mike Bray, certainly, and anyone that watches it, that's got to be the most baffling part of this whole thing. It is, but uh, when you look at the guys they lost off, their, uh, off last year's roster, it makes a heck of a lot of sense where you look at Paul Atkinson, he was their main low post guy. They could throw it into Paul Atkinson and flatten out the defense and keep the defense honest, get a low post touch, get some low post scores around the rim, which is what this team cannot do. So they had Paul Atkinson. They had Blake Wesley, who was the first one and done in school in program history last year, a first-round NBA draft pick of the San Antonio Spurs, who could get after guys and get after opposing guards on the defensive end, use his athleticism in the open court. And I think the third guy that everybody everybody around this program for four years was like, get this kid out of here. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. And I told anybody who would listen for the last two years, there would be a time when he's gone that you're going to miss point guard Prentice Hub. And I think what, the, what, what we're seeing now is we talked about that swagger. We talked about that cockiness, that confidence. Like Prentice Hub took all the smoke on away crowds, like the the more you yelled at Prentice Hub, and the more you threw uh, obscenities or whatever else his way, he loved that on the road. Like he took it all for this basketball team, and and the the more he heard it, and the more he saw it, the better he played. And I think a lot of the guys that were from this year's team, like we talked about, Nate Lashevsky, Dane Goodwin, Cormac Ryan, Trey Wirtz. Those are all kind of quiet guys on the basketball court, and they they set off Prentice Hub. So we're they're missing those three guys. They've got a lot a lot of guys back, but the three guys that they're missing that's one of the reasons they're one and five right now and nine and eight overall. Yeah, that's interesting. And then uh, you look at uh, the starting lineup here, and it changes recently. It's two of the new guys, mm-hmm. and uh, one we know. Uh, intimately here is J.J. Starling. Mm-hmm. He had been in the starting lineup. Uh, Mike Bray makes the move last game. He takes Marcus Hammond, uh, puts him in there. He's the, the transfer in from uh, Niagara, so not that far down the road from here. And Starling comes off the bench and actually has one of his best games in a while, right? So it looks like that's that's a move that, that worked out well on all accounts on the, the other night. It worked out well, but Mike Bray is the first one to admit, look, J.J. Starling is going back to his hometown in Baldwinsville and going to play in front of a lot of friends and family at the, at the Dome. I'm starting J.J. Starling tomorrow, so he'll be back in the starting lineup. He's tri- he's done this tinkering with the starting lineup the last two games. He switched it around a week ago at North Carolina, not to a lot of success. He did it again on Tuesday against Georgia Tech with more success, but I think he's going to switch it up again, and whether or not 
he fits Trey Wirtz or Marcus Hammond, I think J.J. goes back in the starting lineup. And it's funny because after the game, as well as J.J. played, he was one of the guys that came to the postgame media. And my first question to J.J. was, when's the last time you didn't start a basketball game? And he looked at me and smiled and said, never. Yeah. So that was that was kind of a that was kind of a new that was new territory for JJ Starling. Sometimes guys go into a funk when they can't get into the they can't be in the starting lineup. He didn't let that affect him. Let's hope for Notre Dame's sake that he doesn't let going home and playing in front of all those fans back in his home area affect him again on Saturday night. Uh, yeah, JJ was not coming off the bench at any point for the Beville Bees when he was. Uh... <laughs> Uh, here at home, and uh, how, how's JJ been doing? Because you know, the one time we watched him, you know, super closely, obviously was the Q's game, and you know that that game he got banged up, some weird stuff happened, he didn't play that well. Uh, how, how's he been doing so far in his freshman year? It's a weird situation because I think the bar was set so high last year when we talked about Blake Wesley, a local kid from South Bend, being there. The program's only one and done, so everybody saw what Blake Wesley did. He was an all-league guy. He was an all-defensive guy. He was a first-round NBA draft pick. And they said, you know, Blake Wesley was really good, but J.J. Starling, he's supposed to be even better than Blake Wesley. And in some ways, he has been. In some ways, he hasn't. It's just something where it, it's, he's, he's kind of on a different ter- trajectory than what Blake Wesley was, where Blake Wesley started. He hit the ground running and is like, I'm doing this. If I have to take the team over for stretches, I'll take the team over, and I'll just run with it, and the guys kind of let him do that. J.J. Starling, even going back when he was at La Lou those couple of years, and I'd go over to Laporte, which is like 25, 30 minutes away, and watch him play, he was a different type of player then than Blake Wesley, where he was more of a fit-in guy. Like, if there were other guards on that La Lou team, like there are other guards on this Notre Dame team, he's okay to defer to them and, and kind of follow their lead. But when we saw the other night, and we've seen glimpses of it in the past this season, when J.J. Starling has the ball in his hands and just goes and kind of plays his type of game, it's a really good game. And it's just something where there's the, the potential there is just so unlimited. And it's just something where it, can he put it all together to help this team win a few more league games is the big question. Yeah, and you just, you just never know with a freshman like when mm-hmm. when the takeover gene is going to kick in because that, that's hard to do on a, a team where you're literally surrounded by, you know, all like fourth, fifth-year guys. It's a, as veteran a team be, besides him as you can find. Uh, Tom Noy, South Bend Tribune, is our guest. And, uh, Tom, I, I'm, I'm losing count of how many people I've asked this over the last few weeks because I don't think anyone <laughs> actually knows the answer to this question. Uh, but you, you know, in covering Notre Dame, you cover the ACC, you see teams. Uh, do you have any clue who the best team in the league is right now? Yes, Virginia. Okay, that was... I, I would say I would say it's Virginia, and maybe maybe one B right now. The more I watch them, is Clemson. So I go I go Virginia, Clemson, Clemson with the fact that they're similar to Notre Dame. Clemson's doing a lot of the things right now in this league that we expected of Notre Dame. They're an old team. They're a veteran team. I think the foreign tour that they took of Europe in, in, in the summertime was a huge help for Brad Brown all his club. And the more you watch him play, you keep thinking, all right, now this is a game that they're going to come back to the rest of the pack. And then they win. And then they say, all right, now wait, wait till this next one. This is when they come. And then they win another one. So they've been impressive. And I think at the end, I, 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 Tony Bennett's program and the culture and everything else of winning up there in Charlottesville that's just still going to be there come late February, early March. 
No, Tom, I'm going to give you this. I don't know how you win for doing this, but that is by far the most decisive answer we've gotten. So you're the only person <laughs> that is absolutely certain of their answer right now. So I might have to go with Virginia just because you actually sounded confident in it, and, and nobody else seemed to, to really uh, go. But uh, Virginia and Clemson do seem to be the two predominant uh, answers to that uh, right now, but we shall see uh, where it goes. All right, Tom, uh, good to chat yet again. Uh, I, I think because it was close last time, we're expecting another uh, close one tomorrow, but in this league, uh, who the heck knows? But uh, thanks a lot, and uh, enjoy the game tomorrow. You got my man. Have a great weekend. That is Tom Doy from the South Bend Tribune. Covers the Irish uh, often and well out uh, that way. Good to chat with Tom again. Again, the game tips off tomorrow night in the Dome at 7 o'clock. With that, Wayne, take a break. Time for picks, people. We got picks. Will they be good picks? (laughs) We never promised that. The man who sort of knows when we come back, Mario, 3 o'clock, rolling along here on a Friday in the Qs on the 315 and QSportsTalk.com at ESPN Radio.